A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Al-Ayin Ar-Rajeem Rahman Ar-Rahim In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful and may God's peace and blessings be upon His Holy Prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajahum. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And welcome once again to our latest lecture on in the series on or entitled Life, the Islamic Answer where we're continuing with the theme of knowledge and rationality in Islam. We began with the first theme. As we said, the, the series is structured around themes, and within each theme there are topics. And the first theme was that of knowledge and reason or rationality in Islam. The topic that we're meant to cover today is that of the place or importance or value of aql in Islam. We began with the topic of knowledge and the importance of knowledge in Islam. We're following it with a topic on aql and the place of aql, which may be translated as reason, rationality, intelligence, reflection, and we'll talk about uh, a little bit, a little bit of the terminology that we propose to use for this, inshallah. Before actually, you know, getting into the new topic. And based on the feedback that we got and a little bit of the discussion that we heard, um, I think that it's important that we present very quickly an overview of what we're trying to cover in this series, in general, the series as a whole, uh, and specifically this theme. And the reason I think that even though we did it at a very high level, I think it might be worth taking a little bit of time to present to present uh, a little bit more of a detailed skeleton of what we're trying to achieve. I think in a lot of cases as we're going through this, these are deep complex topics and we're moving through them very quickly and I can imagine that there might be a lot of questions and someone may get the impression that we're leaving a lot of stuff hanging. And so uh, if we know exactly where we're going and what we're trying to achieve, what we're trying to cover in this series, I think it helps you decide where there are questions that need to be asked now versus uh, questions or discussions that we need to have a little bit later because we're planning to cover that as a specific uh, issue or topic in, it, on its, in itself. And then just as a quick reminder of maybe what we're trying to achieve with this series because we got a little bit of feedback on that too. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a second. So let's begin very quickly with uh, you know, the general structure for the theme of the series. This theme, the first theme of knowledge and reason or rationality. Um, so al-ilm and al-ma'rifah was the first topic. We did an introduction. And in every case, inshallah, as we embark on a new topic, we'll have a little bit of an introduction to link, to, to bring your mind to what's going on in the world. And then so that as we go through the topic from a religious point of view or scriptural point of view, through the verses of the Quran, through the hadith, that you're always reacting to what's going on in the world. And this, inshallah, generates a little bit of discussion and thinking, food for thought, as we say. So that's what we did also with the first theme. 
And we began with a little bit of, uh, you know, the importance and the value of knowledge. And as we said, we're not done with this. We're coming back to it. Inshallah, we're going to talk about that in a second. Once we're done with today's topic, and inshallah, we can cover enough of it today, although I have a feeling that we're going to have to split it in two and we'll finish the topic in the next lecture. Then the next uh, topic within this series is going to be on why does Islam give this role to knowledge and reason or rationality? So now we're establishing that they are important and just how important they are. The next is why are they so important? This helps us steer ourselves and understand and this feeds our worldview, right? Your position in the world, where you stand, how you think, how you act, because now you know why this is the importance given by your religion to knowledge and to reason. We're referring to it as reason now. We're going to come back to it. I don't like that term. We're going to come back to it. Or it's not that I don't like it. I don't think it reflects aql. Okay, so it doesn't go far enough in reflecting what aql is. Then once we understand the, why Islam gives this importance to knowledge and reason, we want to see the alternative. The alternative is jahl and its deriv derivatives. And this is important because in a lot of cases in our lives, we think that the alternatives are I do something that is good or I stay neutral or I do something that is bad. And already we've seen, and we're going to see it in a lot more detail, that the alternatives in Islam are not staying neutral. There is no neutral. You're either choosing knowledge and rationality and reason and aql or you're choosing jahl, and there's nothing in between, okay? So we'll talk about that, and what does Islam say about jahl, this alternative? Once this is done, we now get into the details, I think that will address some of the questions we had the last time we met, and perhaps just as we're going through this, what knowledge, and what's aql? So the details around it, the sources of it, where do we find this knowledge, where do we find this or from whom or how do we acquire it and what are we talking about exactly what type what substance what type of information or data or ilm how many types are there which ones make it and that's the most important part how do we make it Islamic how do we ensure that this is what we're talking about meets the criteria to be the knowledge we were talking about and the aql we're going to be talking about starting today okay and so some of this has to do with uh, both for knowledge and we're going to start with reflection or intelligence or aql. And we're going to see, for instance, that it has to go a lot more than the superficial understanding, the superficial application of aql. And we're going to start that today, inshallah. Okay, that's one topic. Another topic is how do we apply it to our culture and our heritage and our tradition? Another topic is we have to have it, Islam says, so that we counter doubts. And yet we live in a culture of relativity and agnosticism where nothing is for sure and everything is open and everything is constantly being doubted and so on and so forth. Then there are all the biases, the groupthink, the herd mentality. When you are part of a culture, you're usually following blindly without even knowing. And so how does this apply? How does this fit in? And then, and this is important to recognize, we have to apply all of this to our culture 
and will apply it specifically to the place of religion in modern times. What does religion What does religion look like in modern times? Is there still religion or not? And what does it look like? And contrary to, contrary to, view, uh, to uh, you know, uh, uh, a lot of people's belief, popular belief, there is religion. It has a, still a very important place. It's just not the same mentality or the same thinking about religion as we or human beings used to have in p previous types of societies. Okay. Once this is done, then we focus on knowledge. So this is more focusing on aql and reflection. Now we're going to focus on knowledge. So as we said, inshallah, this is going to be split into big parts. The first one, and this will be very quick, knowledge of God. The second one, and this we're not going to spend too much time on it for the reason that we gave, which is, inshallah, we covered enough of it in the beliefs. And that's what, what is meant but there are some issues or topics that we need to address around religious knowledge that we will address here. Then we'll move to the second type of knowledge, which is knowledge of the self. And inshallah, once we get into all of this, we'll see that in the, in the rest of the series, we're going to dedicate a full theme to building of the self, self-building, self-development, self-improvement. Inshallah, this will be a full theme on its own, just like we're dedicating a theme to uh, knowledge and rationality that will be one of the first themes that we will cover so for the time being the only part that I think is important to cover because we're talking about the sources of knowledge we're going to spend some time talking about fitrah this notion that we keep hearing about in our religion as one of the sources of knowledge or the sources of our uh, thinking and the way we are supposed to be to what extent can we rely on it what is it what does Islam say about our primordial nature okay once this is done, we move to the last grouping of knowledge, which is the knowledge of the world. And so once again here, the details of this, inshallah, we're not going to address in a theme, we're going to address in themes, okay, that are to come. But for the time being, we're focusing on what needs to be known. Okay, so we're just identifying the categories that Islam says, here are the things you should know about the world. And then we will dedicate themes to know those things. So one of them, for instance, is the natural world. That's one. Another one is history. Why does Islam talk about knowledge of history? Human history, world history. Why? Why is that important? For instance, knowledge of our time. Knowing what type of world you live in. Knowledge of society. What are the forces in society? What, does a society, what is a society supposed to look like? And therefore, where is your role in that? And then socioeconomic reality, which is linking society in general with the main driver, and this is well known today and has been forever, money and wealth, which translates into power, which translates into social justice or social injustice. Okay, so we'll talk inshallah about all of this. And in all of that, inshallah, we'll also talk about when we move as we said from the theme of the individual to the theme of society, there's something in between there, which is community and the place of community. And to talk about community, we have to talk about families or family and the family structure and what is that supposed to look like and what are the different roles and so on and so forth. Inshallah, we'll talk about that too. So, and then finally, the last big topic around knowledge and rationality, inshallah, is going to be 
as we said, making sure that we understand the checkboxes that we have to tick off to consider knowledge and rationality Islamic. And so bottom line, in short, as I said, I didn't want to be giving all the punchlines, but so that we know where we're going. It's about making the knowledge and making the rationality towards action. There has to be action around it, and there has to be intention around it. What is the intention behind the knowledge and behind the aql, and what is the action that comes out of it? And that becomes Islamic or not. That's what makes it Islamic or not. Okay, so inshallah we'll get into that. What are the responsibilities associated with knowledge? So individual and collective responsibilities. And then what are the barriers that are preventing us from getting to that knowledge? And there are some, some that are internal to us and some that are external. So understanding those means we know what to avoid and what to do so that we remove those. And of course, as we said, we come back to a little bit of the relationship, the spiritual uh, aspect of knowledge and aql, or the relationship or make, making sure that it's really uh, knowledge and aql in the Islamic sense, as we said, making it really Islamic. That's what we're trying to cover in this specific theme of knowledge and rationality. Then we continue with the series. And I'm not going to go into the details of the series. I'll just enumerate the big themes, inshallah. So all of this is one theme. We will do the same thing for each one of those next themes. I'm not going into the details now. Inshallah, we'll do that when we get to those themes. One of the first themes that we want to cover after this one is understanding the purpose of sending religion to humanity in the first place. What's the objective behind sending divine teachings to human beings? Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send a religion to human beings? That's a quick theme that we will cover inshallah. And so there's a lot of topics under that, no details now. There's another theme that I'm still debating how much detail we give or not because we covered a little bit of it, enough of it, the minimum. We covered it in the previous series. The relationship between this world and the next. What does Islam say about dunya and al-akhirah and the relationship between the two? We covered it from a very theological point of view. We looked at it in terms of the belief system and what we need to know so that we believe in the right things, to do the right things to end up in heaven, to secure ourselves a place in heaven. But we didn't really talk about how am I supposed to live in this world? What does Islam have to say about this world in general? Okay. So that may be, that's certainly a theme, but let's see, depending on the interest, how much detail we go into there. And then we have the theme of self-development and self-improvement and character traits. And some of them are much more religious, spiritual, and some of them are much more useful for our daily lives in this world. But Islam talks about all of this. So we'll dedicate a theme to talk about self-development. The theme after that is slowly going from the individual. That will cover the individual. Now we'll start going towards the family, and then the community, and then society. And once we get to society, the relationship with others, inshallah, is going to be a big one. So the other can be a Muslim or a non-Muslim. Well, how does Islam deal with all of that? We have the social system in Islam in general. Then we have the economic system and Islam in general, because it's an extremely important one. We need to spend some time on that. What does Islam say about wealth and money and the circulation of money in society 
and what does it encourage and what does it discourage? What does it want to see when it looks at the business world, at economy and finance? What does it not want to see when to, in order to say this is an Islamic or built on Islamic principles as a society? And then finally, depending on how much time we have, the final theme or the final two themes will be our relationship with nature. And so, of course, there's a relationship between that topic, our relationship with nature, because we'll end the previous topic with economy. So the resources of the world and how are they used by human beings? How are they supposed to be used by human beings? And then depending on the interest and the time, we may talk about aesthetics or the notion of beauty in Islam. And with this, if we cover all of this together, inshallah, the idea is that we will have kind of an overall view of what we refer to as life from the point of view of Islam. If you want to live, these are the main components of living as an individual, as a community, as a society, and what you're dealing with, and today's world. That's what we're dealing with. The one point that I wanted to mention also, and I addressed it very quickly in the past, but I think it's worth talking about, again, based on the feedback that we got, is that one of the main points of this series is that we want to make sure we understand that Islam and the teach, Islamic teachings are, for lack of a better term, are holistic, are multidimensional. We talked about this a little bit when we began the previous lecture. We said a lot of people know some teachings in Islam. Some people focus, for instance, on the spiritual component. Some people focus on the rituals, the acts of worship, for instance. What we need are people who understand the general spirit of our religion. And in order to do that, you have to be able to link. When you look at a teaching in Islam, you don't look at it from one angle only, one dimension only. Inshallah, with what we started covering, you're already getting a glimpse of that. But the, the point is that the entire series is meant for this. And you have to keep accumulating this. When we talked about knowledge, we talked, for instance, there was a psychological component to it. Islam is talking about today, they would call it mental health. That knowledge can be used as a consolation against loneliness, for instance. Right? We talked about Islam was saying that you can use knowledge for having a better vision physically, better sight, and healthier body. And we said there's a religious component or spiritual component to this, but there's a physical component to this. Because you know how the body works and what you're supposed to do using the knowledge you have to maintain the health of your body. So there's a very much a physical material benefit to this. And then we said there was a social component. Islam was saying that knowledge is what you use to gain prestige and status and power in society. And it may be used or is used as a weapon against enemies. These are all social components to knowledge. We're talking about the same thing. But every time you see the teaching is focusing on one dimension. But the teaching is the same. If you only focus on one, you're not seeing the full spirit of our religion. And of course, on top and beyond all of this, there was a spiritual component. You want to be loved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You want to have your you, have, you want to know your true worth and value and importance in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
then look at your knowledge. Right? So it's this, we're talking about the same reality, the same teaching, the same component. But in every time, in every set, and that's why we're going through so many hadith and so many verses of the Qur'an, and we're looking at them from different angles. To really nail home this point, and so that it becomes a second nature for you, as soon as you hear that Islam says something about something, that your reaction should be, okay, what else is it saying? What other dimensions are in there? And this is what we mean when we say it. And this applies to everything in, in religion. And as inshallah, we go through the series, inshallah, this becomes clearer and clearer, especially as we go closer to the social dimensions. And you'll see, for instance, yes, zakat is important. The act of charity is important. There is a psychological component to it. There is a spiritual component to it. But there's an economic, financial uh, component to it. There's a social uh, equality component to it. It's the same teaching. The same thing applies to hajj. The same thing applies to prayer, especially jama'ah prayer, and so on and so forth. The more we understand this, the more we start understanding the spirit of our religion. Not focusing only on one component, and then you go off balance. And this is the one of the main second points that we're trying to reach through this series. So the first one is that we have an, a holistic appreciation of the teachings of Islam. That's one. The second one is that not only do we learn how to prioritize between these teachings, but that we learn how to balance between them. And as an example, right now we're talking about knowledge. And inshallah we can talk maybe about that in, in, in the discussion. But let's say someone has never heard or a lot of this is new to them. So they hear this stuff, they hear these teachings, these points, it could even be to the point where it's shocking to them. And then they go back, they examine themselves, and they see that there are lacks in their lifestyle, in their worldview, in their habits. They fix those. But if you only focus on those, then you're probably neglecting some other priorities. If suddenly, for 10 hours a day, all you're doing is things related to knowledge, then we start suddenly talking about, for instance, self-purification and building the right habits, and organizing your time properly, and developing your character traits properly. We're going to talk about that. Is there still going to be enough time for that if all of your focus is on knowledge? Once we start talking about the family structure, and then when we start talking about the importance of taking care of people in the community, and then when we start talking about the importance of social equality and social justice, I'm just giving quick examples here. Can you still say that my only priority right now in the world is just sit at home and learn, for instance, and acquire knowledge? No. You have to. There's a prioritization and there's a balancing act. And so what we're trying to do with this series is not only to look at it holistically, but to start seeing how to prioritize and how to balance. So that you say... And of course, none of this is possible if you don't have enough knowledge, right? So at least we try, we're trying to cover enough knowledge foundation in all of these areas so that we can act on them and then we can act on them in a prioritized way and in a balanced way, okay? So inshallah, this, uh, this is something we can come back to. And very, very quickly, the last point I wanted to mention here, this series is not meant to be a replacement for aqaid. 
This is not about our belief system, inshallah, we covered enough of that. And the point of our belief system is to know, inshallah, or to secure a place for ourselves in heaven, right? To have the right set of beliefs. We're not trying to do this here. The same thing applies to fiqh, for instance. You're trying to understand what's halal and what's haram. We're not trying to do this here. Here we're trying to re-examine our lives so that we find our place in the world. And this means that in a lot of cases, it's not a black and white thing. Nor does it necessarily mean that what applies to me is going to apply to you in the same way. But you should have enough understanding of these principles that you will know how to make them, at least make yourself meet the minimum requirements for all of them. Okay? There's a very big difference between that and saying this is a series on haram and halal. This is a series on if you do this, you go to hell. This, if you do this, you go to heaven. That's not what we're trying to do here. This is much more about self-improvement as individuals, as communities, and as a society. Okay? With all of this said, let's go back now to the topic of knowledge and aql. The, as we said, the first point is that we still have a lot to say about knowledge about ilm and ma'rifah. But we're taking a little bit of time to talk about aql. Why are we talking about aql? Why are we not finishing off completely the topic of knowledge and then going to aql? And part of the importance of this is that, as we will see, inshallah, in the narrations today and in the next, perhaps, lecture, is that in Islamic teachings, in a lot of times, these two topics are intertwined. In fact, they are sometimes presented as one, and sometimes they are presented as two, and sometimes they are much further broken down. But there are a lot of Islamic teachings where the topics of knowledge, of ma'rifah and ilm, and the topic of aql are one. Or they may be become one, because they might become one at the level of action. They might become one at some, from one angle, from one dimension, they are the same thing. You can't really distinguish between the two. And so Islam is talking about that angle, so both are the same. If you want to break it down conceptually, yes, you may have to break it down into there is knowledge, ilm and ma'rifah, and then there is aql or one of its derivatives. And this is important. If you go through the derivatives, there's at least 20, if not more, derivatives of aql. And we don't have time to go through them. So I'm lumping everything together as one big topic. Okay, we're just calling it aql and we're starting with that. And inshallah, we'll cover as much of it as possible. And I'll give some of the indications here. One thing to keep in mind is that when we say knowledge or ilm and ma'rifah, as probably you already felt in the first lecture, or now when we're saying reason, rationality, intellect, these notions, the Islamic version of these notions, it does not match entirely what we may think or how we've, we're accustomed today to think about these notions. Us through our, let's say, our university education or our Western standards or our modern contemporary definitions of what knowledge is, what rationality is, it will not be a 100% fit. And that's why we need to spend time detailing how does Islam view knowledge? How does Islam view aql? And you'll see that there are things, yes, everybody agrees on what it is. But once you go into the details, you see we're not talking about the same thing exactly. So we need to take it slow and see what does Islam say about these notions? And that's important. 
When we talk about reason specifically or aql, we can be talking about it as logic, the rules of logic. So that you know, when you think about something, there are no fallacies, there are no mistakes in your thinking, your argumentation is correct, which we refer to as the rules of mantiq, logic, or philosophical thinking, logical thinking, critical thinking. A second way of understanding aql is to say that it is to think, but to think deeply about things. So you don't really accept just the face value. When you see something, when you perceive something, when you think about something, you don't just accept the first thought that comes into your mind about it and you move on. You have to be more critical. You have to go further than what you're seeing superficially to say, what else does it mean? How far can I go in my thinking and understanding this? Okay? The, second, the third meaning can be that you not only combine knowledge and deep thinking about something to, when we talk about aql, but you also add to it judgment. Judgment means that you're prioritizing, that you know how to behave or where to put the thing. You can refer to it as wisdom, as a hikmah. Your aql is going to lead to you being able to have good judgment about the thing that you're looking at or you're trying to understand. And then finally, the last understanding of what aql is, is yes, you are applying the rules of logic. You are applying your deeper thinking to the knowledge that you have. You are applying your good judgment, but it must also lead to action. And that is much closer to the notion of aql that we have in Islam. So in short, because I don't think I'm going to be able to finish the topic, especially that we've already talked way too much for the first part and we haven't even started. I'm going to combine all of this, summarize all of this into a very short definition of what aql seems to be when we look at all of the narrations and all of the verses of the Qur'an. What's included in it? Very short definition, but very compact definition, so that you keep it in mind as we go through this. And inshallah, you will see how it applies to everything we're trying to cover. Okay, so the proposed definition is that aql is going to be, and inshallah, we'll talk more about one dimension of this much further in the series, as we said, the relationship of aql and qalb, or with the heart and what it means, but you will see that we're, we're going to touch on that a little bit today. It's that it is a perception of information or a processing of information as God intended. That's how we can define aql. So what does this mean? First of all, when we say there is a perception or a processing of the information, it means you're exposed to something. You have to interpret it. That's one. Two, the something, and inshallah we'll see that much later in the series, although I don't think we need to spend too much time on it, is that it matches the truth or it matches reality. You want to be able, one of the main functions of aql is that you know the truth. Islam believes that there is a truth to be known. We can't remain agnostic and we can't remain in doubt. We can never know the truth and the truth is unknown to human beings and we will never have the knowledge or the tools or, or, or. To, no, no, there is a truth to be known and Allah has given you tools to know it. And ultimately, for all of this to work as God intended, you're using the tools appropriately 
And all of this is aligned with your fitrah. And this brings it back to, so the first notion, as we can refer to it philosophically, it's epistemological. It's in the theory of knowledge, what you know is equals truth. It matches reality. That's one. The second component, when we link it to your fitrah, is you recognize that it is good or not, and therefore you act on it. So this is the ethical dimension. The first dimension is more philosophical. The second one is ethical. You act on it. There's a practical component to aql. So the notion of aql is a lot broader than what we're accustomed to using, which is a system of logic that you apply to an argument. Is there an internal fallacy? Is there a logical mistake? No, then it's true and it's logical or it's rational or reasonable and we move on. No, no, this is not aql in Islam. It goes way beyond this. So I know this is a lot to take in, but inshallah, every time that we talk about one of the narrations or one of the verses of the Qur'an related to aql, you will see the elements of these mentioned in it. So I'm giving you the conclusion now so that you keep it in mind as we go through the narrations. Okay, so with this in mind, inshallah, I think we can begin with, by looking, we'll spend the little bit of time we have going through the narrations that we can for the topic of aql. A first narration from Imam Ali alayhi salam. Let me start with, yeah, maybe I'll start with the narrations from the Holy Prophet In this first narration, the Holy Prophet says, All that is good is acquired through aql. How are we going to define aql or translate aql? I'm going to propose for now, based on what I just said about the definition that we're proposing, that we use the term reflection. Reflection is to think deeply, or to reflect is to think deeply, or to think carefully about something. The other term we could use is intelligence, but let's use reflection. Okay, so the Holy Prophet is saying, إِنَّمَا يُدْرَكُ الْخَيْرُ كُلُّهُ بِالْعَقْلِ All that is good is acquired or it's secured through Reflection through aql. Wala dina, this is the more important point. Wala dina liman la aql And there is no faith, there is no belief, there is no religion to one who does not have reflection, who does not think deeply, who does not understand deeply, who does not use their aql. So again, following the same practice that we said the last time, here's, there's two conclusions here. One is that all good things are acquired through aql. The second one, we're starting to see the importance of aql right away. The Holy Prophet is saying, you want to have religion, you, have to have, you want to have deen, you have to have aql. La dina liman la aqla Very explicit and clear. The Holy Prophet explains this in another narration. So there are people who praised in his presence, in the presence of the Holy Prophet. They praised a man until they mentioned all of the attributes of goodness about that man. How is the aql of the man? How is his ability to think and to reflect? فَقَالُوا يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ نُخْبِرُكَ عَنْهُ بِاجْتِهَادِهِ فِي الْعِبَادَةِ وَأَصْنَافِ الْخَيْرِ 
were informing you about how well he worships and all the good acts that he does. وَتَسْأَلُنَا an عَقْلِهِ And you ask us about his reflection or his ability to think. فَقَالَ إِنَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ فَقَالَ إِنَّ الْأَحْمَقَ يُصِيبُ بِحُمْقِهِ أَعْظَمَ مِنْ فُجُورِ الْفَاجِرِ One who is stupid, because of his stupidity, he does worse than the obscenity of the most obscene. Because he doesn't think, he just acts. So the Holy Prophet is giving us one of the reasons why. And inshallah, as we said, the next topic is going to be about why knowledge and why reflection. We're going to dedicate a topic to this. But for the time being, the Holy Prophet is already giving us an indication. وَإِنَّمَا يَرْتَفِعُ الْعِبَادُ غَدًا فِي الدَّرَجَاتِ So tomorrow in the afterlife, when people are elevated, when they are raised in ranks, they are raised based on what? وَيَنَالُونَ الزُّلْفَ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ And they reach proximity from their Lord. They do that based on عَلَىٰ قَدْرِ عُقُولِهِمْ Based on the amount of reflection that they have, deep thinking that they have. So already this is a reminder of what we were saying about knowledge. You're seeing it again about aql, about reflection. In another narration, Nabi sallallahu Everything has an instrument and a tool. The instrument of the believer and his tool for what? For belief. Your main tool and your main instrument as a believer is aql, is reflection. Everything has a vehicle. And that which is, allows you to move from a point to a point is aql. Everything has a purpose. And the point, the purpose of worship is aql. Every people have a caretaker, a shepherd. The shepherd or the caretaker of those who worship is aql. Everyone who is in a business transaction, they have merchandise. The merchandise of those who are transacting with God through their acts of worship, they're working hard for their acts of worship. Their merchandise is aql. It's not the worship itself. There's something behind the worship. Kharab is an, a desert land, an empty land, a ruined land. Every empty land has a way to being developed. You want to develop a land? The land of the afterlife is developed through aql. These are the buildings you erect that wait for you in the afterlife. And in every travel, there is a shelter, like a temporary tent you put in the way so that people seek refuge to it. The shelter of those who are Muslims, who are followers of the Prophet, their shelter is aql. Inshallah, this is clear, but inshallah we can come back to it in the discussion. This is the importance that our religion is giving to knowledge and aql. Everything else, inshallah, is going to be a, an explanation of this. 
But inshallah, the, the points we're trying to link together are starting to, you know, <laughs> come to mind as, as we go through these. A third narration from the Holy Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala subhanahu wa ta'ala has not granted something better than aql amongst the people or to the people. Aqil, the sleep of the one who has aql, the sleep of the one who reflects deeply. Jahil. It is sahar here is not just staying up at night. It's staying up at night and worship. So someone who is jahil, remember that we said there is no alternatives. Either you are this or, and you see it in the narrations. Nawmul aql, the sleep of the one who has aql is better than the staying up in worship of the one who does not use his aql or his ilm. This is where you see that ilm because the opposite of ilm is also jahl and the opposite of aql is also jahl. Khayr afdalu min sahar al-jahil. Right? Al-Aqil in a state of not fasting is better than the person who is fasting but they are not using their Aqil or they don't have Aqil to use. Does this mean that acts of worship are not required in Islam or they're not good? No, that's not what we're saying at all. We're saying that there is a priority, that there is a hierarchy in the value system of Islam and now we understand where knowledge is and where aql is, where rationality and thinking and deep thinking, inshallah, this is becoming clear why this is so important. And as we said, inshallah, in the next topic, we're, we're dedicating a topic to why is it so important. In the next narration, Imam Ali alayhi salam says, When you hear a report, something reported to you, understand it, how? Understand it, the understanding of those who are caretakers of knowledge. Those who know how to take care of the knowledge. As opposed to what? Do not understand, do not study, do not learn what you're hearing, do not learn it, the learning of those who simply transmit it. You're able to report it back. You're able to repeat it. You're able to parrot it. You take it as is, you do a copy-paste, you learn it by heart, and you can regurgitate. You can repeat the same exact thing you learned. Imam says, this is not the type of knowledge I want from you. I want you to be of those who take care of the knowledge. You are able to be critical about the knowledge you're getting. You understand it and you do something to it. You're, be, you're able to build on it. You're able to use your critical mind to it. You're able to produce your own knowledge based on it. This is very important. Today when we think someone is going to, let's say, go from one country to another to study, what do we mean? Do we mean simply that... There's all the knowledge there, and so we send someone, they do a copy-paste of the knowledge, they put it in their mind, they come here, and they can repeat everything. Is this the aql that Imam Ali السلام, wants? He says, no, because it means you're not producing your own knowledge. You are repeating the knowledge of others, because you don't have aql ri'ayah. 
You have aql, ruwaya. You can repeat. You can retransmit the same information. Like a parrot. Good for you. But what does this accomplish? This is maybe a prerequisite, a premise. But you have to go further. And that's why we said in the definition, aql is deep thinking. You don't accept things at face value. You don't accept things superficially. It's given to you, you take it as is without thinking and you move on. Imam salam says, اِعْقِلُوا الْخَبَرَ إِذَا سَمِعْتُمُوهُ عَقْلَ رِعَايَةٍ لَا عَقْلَ رِوَايَةٍ فَإِنَّ رُوَاتَ الْعِلْمِ كَثِيرٌ وَرُعَاتَهُ قَلِيلٌ Those who report and transmit knowledge, there's a lot of them. Because they're just repeating what they heard. They learn it by heart and they repeat it. And how many are they? Imam Ali says. But those who carry knowledge, who know how to take care of the knowledge, which means they know how to use their critical mind, they know how to build knowledge from the knowledge, they know how to contribute to the knowledge they got, those people are very few. And this is a general rule. Anyone who knows how knowledge works in any field, you will see this. That's why you have so few geniuses in a field, so many pioneers in a field. Imam Ali is encouraging us to be of those. In another narration, Imam Ali says, Al-Aqlu Aqwa Asas. General rule. And I always try to do this. I give you the general rule and the breakdown. Imam Ali says, Knowledge is the most solid of foundations. Very general and open. So whatever you're thinking about, the knowledge, the, the foundation of it, you want the most solid foundation, build it on a foundation of Aql. Thamaratul Aqli Luzumul Haqq. The fruit the product of aql, and inshallah we're going to talk a lot more about this. How do you know that there's actually a aql there? Thamaratul aqli luzumul haq. If you have true aql, aql in the Islamic sense, then you don't let go of truthfulness. You're always with the truth. Otherwise, that is not aql, it's something else. And we'll talk about that. There's a lot of different things we can talk about that may look like aql, but it's not aql, not in the Islamic sense. Imam Ali السلام, says in another narration, لا يستعانوا على إلا بالعقل. You cannot use anything to deal with, to support yourself, to aid yourself against the times, your times, the world in which you live, except with aql. So there's two things here, two conclusions. Inshallah, as we did last time, we'll, we'll repeat all the conclusions at the end. The first one, of course, you see the importance of aql, and th this is what you need. The first thing that we need to secure in ourselves if we want to deal with difficult, hard times, complex world, first thing to secure is aql. The second one is that there's a necessity to deal with the times. That's the, the implied conclusion here. Imam says, we don't have a choice to deal with the times. And my times and yours may not be the same. But the tool that you're going to use and the tool I have to use, the tool is the same. It's aql. But my time and yours are going to be different. And inshallah we're going to talk about that. The next narration. I'm going to skip the verses of the Quran. I'm keeping them until the end. النبي صلى الله عليه وآله he says فكرة ساعة خير من عبادة سنة to think to reflect deeply 
for an hour, and of course we're not talking literally about 60 minutes, to take a little bit of time to sit and think and reflect deeply is better than worshipping for a full year. Why? And again, inshallah, we're going to talk about why. But in short, it's because this thinking, if it's true thinking, if it meets the criteria, it's going to be transformative. This is the purpose of your creation, that you know what you're doing and why you're doing it. And you're deciding what's the trajectory of your life in this world and the next. If it meets this criteria, then this is true aql. And it's a lot more valuable than performing acts of worship. Of course, what's implied here is that the acts of worship don't have aql behind them. Because you can also perform an act of worship like an imam does or like the Holy Prophet does. And of course there's aql behind that. And they understand that the whole purpose of the act of worship is the aql. But in a lot of our cases, when we perform the ritual, we perform the act physically without getting the spiritual benefits or the aql benefits or the knowledge benefits of it. Okay? Inshallah, all of this is going to become clearer and clearer as we go through the series. Imam Ali السلام, in another narration says, لا عبادة في صنعة الله عز وجل. There is no act of worship like deep thinking about the actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here it can be understood as two things. You can think about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created the world, which is as we have talked about in the past, and inshallah we'll dedicate a lecture to this too, the importance of understanding the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as miracles and as signs that lead to his power and his knowledge and your understanding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your proximity to him. Okay, so that's one. What else? How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala manages the affairs of this world. How one civilization may be on the top today and tomorrow they are at the bottom. Or what historians call the rise and fall or the rise and decline of civilizations. Why does that happen? And of course, someone who believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you understand what is happening behind the scenes. The trends of history. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about people like Fir'aun. What, peop- what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about those like people like Ad and Thamud. Why were they wiped out? Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give them chances when they wasted them? He wiped them out. Because they oppressed. Because they became injustice. Because they became arrogant. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removed them and brought other people to give them a chance. They got their chance. This is what they did with it. Okay, we need to understand this. It means it's going to change my way of living. It means I understand through reflecting on what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing in the world, how he is managing the affairs of the world. So Imam Ali is saying there is no act of worship like this deep thinking about the actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? And another hadith, and this one I feel it goes even a step further. Imam Al Askari he says, Laysat al-ibadatu kathratu siyami wassala. The worship is not in an abundance of fasting and praying. Again, is it because the Imam is saying don't pray and don't fast? Is there anyone who prayed and fasted more than the Imams? But he's saying, True worship 
is to be in a state of constantly deep thinking about the affairs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, you should be most in this type of state when you are in your acts of worship. That's one of the main purposes of being in prayer and being fasting and being reciting the Quran so that you force yourself to be in that state so that you're not distracted. You seclude yourself and you dedicate yourself to that. You force yourself to that. But even beyond that, there is something behind the act of worship, which is the aql. And Imam here says that the act of worship, so the salah and the psalm, the fasting and the praying, they do not ref represent worship as much as aql does. In another hadith, Imam Sadiq says, كَانَ أَكْثَرُ عِبَادَةِ أَبِي one of the greatest companions of the Holy Prophet, Imam Sadiq says, the majority of the worship of Abu Dhar, Rahimahullah or Rahmatullahi Alayh, The majority of the worship of Abu Dhar was deep thinking and taking lessons, extracting lessons. This is the majority of his worship from a statement or a testimony from Imam Sadiq Imam Ali السلام, in his will to Imam al Hussein السلام, he says, A bunay al fikratu turithu nura. Al fikra, so the same derivative as al tafakkur or al tafkir, which is deep thinking, reflecting, reflections. So it makes you inherit light. We talked about light in your heart last week. It makes you inherit a light when you are in a state of thinking or thinking deeply. When you're in a state of distraction, you are bringing darkness into your heart, lack of light into your heart. And so, of course, this is something very important. We can make a whole topic about this, especially in today's world. In today's world where we have a lot of time, this is not the type of world people lived 50 or 100 years ago. We're not talking about 500 or 1,000 years ago. As life is getting easier, we're supposed to getting more and more time, more and more free time during the day. How are you using it? Imam Ali السلام, says, There is a darkness that is inherited if you are in a state of distraction. Today we live in a culture where you're constantly pushed to be amused and entertained and diverted and people just want to check out and people just want to be logging off and people just want to be chilling and the state of ghafla that Imam Ali السلام, says staying in the state of ghafla makes you inherit a darkness when you're in a state of thinking or deep reflection you are inheriting a light in your heart does it mean don't relax and don't chill and don't watch sports and don't play and go, don't go to the gym? no it means remember this and balance things out so that you think that you are being appropriate with how you're spending your time. There is a time to relax, but you can't go beyond a certain level before you say, well, I'm exaggerating here. This is now just wasting time. This is not just out of boredom. There's certainly something much more productive I should be doing in this. I had a hard day or a hard week. I took the time to relax. I'm good now. Okay, so now what's the excuse? 
You can't take another three hours doing nothing or doing something that produces nothing. So if you keep this in mind, then it forces you to manage your time with this prioritization. Another hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, لا علم كالتفكر And inshallah we're going to talk a lot more about this. لا علم كالتفكر So this is the link with knowledge. We talked about knowledge and the importance of knowledge last time. Here Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, there is no knowledge like tafakkur, like deep thinking. Okay. So of course the, the relationship here is to go back constantly, inshallah, this point where we're trying to hammer this point very clearly that the point we're trying to make here is that it's extremely important to go beyond the superficial understanding and consider that knowledge or consider that aql. This is not enough in our religion. You need to go further. And going further takes effort. It takes prerequisites. It takes hard work. Otherwise, everybody would be doing it. And there would not be so much reward attributed to it. Imam Ali salam says, Al-aqlu fil-ghurbati qurba. To remind you of what we were saying about knowledge. This is the psychological and the social effects. Al-aqlu fil-ghurbati qurba. You have aql, then you can create ties. Even if you are a foreigner, even if you are a stranger, if you, even if you are all alone, it is as though you are surrounded by family or by people who are acquaintances suddenly. Turba, it creates cr- proximity with people. Al-humqu fil-watani ghurba. If you lack aql and you are stupid in the literal sense, not in the insulting sense, if you like, lack aql, you are a stranger even, even among your own people, even among your own family or close friends or lacking aql will lead to that. You are a stranger. So of course this is social, psychological and mental health. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa says, We said all of this. I'm going to skip to the second part of it, which this is a, a different hadith. So when he's staying put in his country, it is better if they are aqil. The aqil has more reward staying where they are than traveling for the sake of God, for instance, to go perform pilgrimage. You get reward for that effort. Well, the Holy Prophet says, the aqil gets more reward staying put than the traveling of the person who is jahil, who doesn't have aql. And then he says, and this is a point of uh, I'm trying to get at, in this hadith. وَلَا بَعَثَ اللَّهُ نَبِيًّا وَلَا رَسُولًا حَتَّى يَسْتَكْمِلَ الْعَقْلِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not send a messenger or a prophet to people before he perfects or that person perfects or completes their aql. Before they have a complete aql, a perfect aql. This is an important point. There are a lot of people who have this conception about prophets, messengers, imams, that they are regular people. They think just like you and me. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them these, granted them freely and without any reason. He's just chosen some people randomly. He's made so and so a messenger and another an imam and another a prophet. And he's given them miracles and he just feeds knowledge to them and, and, and. This is a completely different way of understanding who these people are. The Holy Prophet himself is saying he does not, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not send a prophet to his people with a divine mission until this person has reached a level of aql that is perfect and complete. 
by our standards, we would say this person is a genius. And he'll go in even further. The Holy Prophet, he will explain something. He will say, وَيَكُونْ عَقْلُهُ أَفْضَلُ مِنْ جَمِيعِ عُقُولِ أُمَّتِهِ He has to have the most complete aql. This is before the divine mission. This is before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestows his own support to ensure that the divine mission works as it's supposed to. Before that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will only choose those people who have the most perfect of the aql of their own society, of their own ummah. Otherwise, it's not appropriate to have those people become the representatives of God. Okay, so there is a theological dimension here, but for us, for our practical purposes to think, the prophetic missions are also based on aql. It would not work if this person did not have this type of aql. For anyone who's interested in walking in the footsteps of prophets and messengers and imams, and thinking about tabligh, and thinking about how do I communicate divine teachings to others. Your tool, your main tool has to be aql. You want to walk in those footsteps, that was their first step. The completion of their aql. Make sure that your aql is as good as it can be. And then, وَمَا يُضْمِرُ النَّبِيُّ فِي نَفْسِهِ أَفْضَلُ مِنْ إِجْتِهَادِ الْمُجْتَهِدِينَ That which a prophet contains or holds in themselves, is better than all of the hard work of those who worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَا أَدَّ الْعَبْدُ فَرَائِضَ اللَّهِ حَتَّى عَقَلَ عَنْهِ It is not possible for a servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to truly fulfill their obligations towards Allah until they have aql. Because you don't know what you're doing. You don't know this act. Are you just following blindly and performing rituals and physical movements? Or do you understand... What's the meaning behind this? Okay, this is why we keep saying aql equals deep thinking. Really understanding what we're doing, why we're doing it. And all of the worshippers taken together cannot reach what the aql has reached through their worship. Because he has reached it through his aql. وَالْعُقَلَاءَ هُمْ الْأَلْبَابِ and those who have the aql are the ones that the Holy Quran refers to as ulil albab. That's the Holy Prophet talking. Because the Holy Quran uses this very interesting terminology or notion where it says ulil albab, ulil albab. What's the lub? The lub is, is the heart of something or the essence of something or the core or the kernel of something. The Holy Quran says those who are the owners of the kernels or the hearts or, or, or. Which is, in other words, those who have aql. And this is the interpretation of the Holy Prophet. He says, Al-Uqala hum ulul albab. When the Holy Quran, every time it says, for instance, قَالَ Allah Ta'ala, this is the Holy Prophet saying, وَمَا يَذَّكَّرُ إِلَّا ulul albab. When the Holy Quran gives all of these stories or examples or reminders, it says, but only those who have the albab, the aql, are the ones who are going to actually be reminded from all these reminders. The others are not going to be. It's not going to work on them. It won't be effective. Another hadith, Imam al-Baqir says, لَمَّا خَلَقَ اللَّهُ الْعَقْلَ قَالَ لَهُ أَقْبِلْ فَأَقْبَلْ When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created the aql, He said to it, come, come forth, it came forth. Then He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to the aql, أَدْبِرْ فَأَدْبَرْ He said to him, go away, it went away. The aql. 
فقال الله سبحانه وتعالى said وعزتي وجلالي by my might by my honor ما خلقت خلقا أحسن منك I have not created a creation that is better than you عقل إياك آمر وإياك أنها It is to you that I give my orders and it is to you that I give my prohibitions. You get the orders to do and you get the orders of not to do. وَإِيَّاكَ أُثِيبُ وَإِيَّاكَ أُعَاقِبُ And it is you that I'm going to reward and it is you that I'm going to punish. Okay, this could be explained. We can take a long time to explain this, but I think at this level it is also clear enough. Okay, we can talk more about it inshallah later. Imam al-Sadiq salam says, Di'amatul insan al-aql. Di'ama is that the pillar or the column that allows something to stand. So that which allows a human being to stand in their humanity, Di'amatul insan al-aql. Wa min al-aql al-thutnatu wal-fahmu wal-hifdu wal-ilm. Here the Imam mentions four. Four derivatives of aql. Four types of aql. There are others that talk about a lot more derivatives. That's why I said there's at least 20. If you go through, for instance, التدبر, التفكر, التذكر, all of these, what it means to talk about what is قول, what is رأي, what is نظر, what is, and so on and so forth. And each one of these can be considered a derivative of this. We're not going in all of these details. But here, Imam al-Sadiq just to give an example, he says, وَمِنَ الْعَقْلِ الْفَطْنَةِ Fitna is the, the wit, the sharpness of mind, how quickly you think, right? وَمِنَ الْعَقْلِ الْفَطْنَةِ And what else? وَالْفَهْنِ how much you understand. These are two different types of aql. What else? Wal-hifd. How much you can store. Right? And finally, wal-ilm. And the type of knowledge that you have. These are all types of aql, according to Imam al-Sadiq in this narration. Imam al-Hassan salam says, Bil-aqli tudraku darani jami'a wa man hurima min al-aql hurimahuma jami'a You want to acquire both worlds, both lives, this world and the next, it is through aql. And the one who has been prevented aql has been prevented both. You know, this world and the next. And then, Hujjiyat al-Aql, Imam al-Kadhim alayhi salam says, إِنَّ لِلَّهِ تَعَالَىٰ عَلَى النَّاسِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has two arguments, has two proofs over people. Hujjatun ظَاهِرَةٌ وَحُجَّةٌ بَاطِنَةٌ there is an external proof, external argument over people, and there is an internal one. The external one are the messengers, the prophets, and the imams. They are the external argument of God over people. The internal argument over people is their own aql. Imam al-Hadi in a narration, there's, you know, Imam al-Hadi became an Imam السلام, at a very young age and he had a lot of back and forth debates. One of them was with Ibn al-Sakit. Ibn al-Sakit was one of the biggest scholars of grammar and language of his time. And his father was a, um, let's call him an educator, where he taught people, people brought their children to him and he would teach them manners. And so this is extremely important for people who live in palaces, people who are kings and princes and so on and so forth. 
So Al-Mutawakkil Al-Abbasi in his time, he gave his two sons to Ibn Sakit because he was following in the footsteps of his own father to teach them. So to teach them you know, Arabic and grammar and, and rhetoric and the etiquettes. And so Ibn Sakit taught them to the point where Al-Mutawakkil became extremely impressed by the manners and the etiquettes that he was seeing and how much teaching had actually taken place. So he brought Ibn al-Sakit and he asked him, he told him, who is better, these two sons of mine or al-Hasan and al-Husayn? So there's different versions of the story, but the one that is most well known, he replied, he told him, I swear that the string that attaches the sandal of Qambar, the servant of Imam Ali alayhi salam, is better than you and your two sons. That's the Ibn al-Sakit. So he had him ordered to be killed right away and he was killed. He was executed right away. So Ibn al-Sakit came to Imam al-Hadi in some debates and he spoke to the Imam and then he asked the Imam. He says, After the Imam answered his questions at a very young age. So Ibn al-Sakit tells him, I swear that I have never seen anyone like you. And then he says, So you'd expect the Imam to say when he's asked, who is the argument or what is the argument of God over people today? The Imam would say himself, right? He would say, I, I am the argument of God. The Imam does not say that. The Imam replies, he says, العقل. The hujjah, the argument of Allah, the proof of God over people today is who? Because he says, he's telling him, today who is the argument of God? The Imam says, العقل. Because it's through aql that you reach the imam. So the imam says, Al-aql, يُعْرَفُ بِهِ الصَّادِقُ عَلَى اللَّهِ فَيُصَدِّقُهُ Through aql, you will know who is saying the truth about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and so you will believe them. And you will recognize who is saying lies about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so you will reject them. وَالْكَاذِبُ عَلَى اللَّهِ فَيُكَذِّبُهُ فَقَالَ إِبْنِ السِّكِيتِ هَذَا وَاللَّهُ هُوَ الْجَوَابِ I swear that that is the correct answer. And then, I believe I'm going to stop here. I'm just looking at the next narrations. Inshallah, maybe we leave them till the next time. Let's stop here. We went a little bit over time once again. So very quickly, let's finish with the main conclusions that we took out, inshallah, today. And then we can have a little bit of a discussion. So some of the conclusions. The first one is that everything that is good in this world, all good, both worlds, which means this world is important, as we said, because there's an insistence, as you see, in the narrations. Not only does it talk about the afterlife, which you might expect if you don't know enough about Islam, but you see there's a focus. You want the what is good in both worlds. Islam does not say, leave alone what's good in this world. It says there is a way to acquire it, and here's how you do it. We spoke about knowledge, now we're talking about it says all good in both worlds is acquired through deep reflection, through aql. The second principle, the second teaching, there is no religion, no belief, no faith without aql. The third one, the ranks in the afterlife, in proximity, in nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in reward are all based on aql. Fourth one, the main instrument as we saw from the Holy Prophet saying, the main tool, the main instrument of the believer is aql. No matter how we looked at it, and the Holy Prophet gave different examples, 
all of them amounted to aql being your main instrument as a believer. Reflection is more important than worship. Again, we're not saying worship is not important. Reflection is more important than worship. And then we saw, especially in the hadith, for instance, of Imam al-Askari worship is deep thinking. Deep thinking is the worship. It's not that there is something called worship and there's something called aql or deep thinking and you're choosing between one or the other. Worship is deep thinking. So you have to find a way to include it or incorporate it or make your acts of worship also acts of aql. Aql is deep understanding as we saw again and again from many narrations of Muhammad Ali It's a deep understanding of things. It's not a repetition and a reporting back and a retransmission of things. You have to have enough deep understanding of something that you can take it in, you can produce new knowledge with it, you can contribute to it, you can criticize it. That means that you understand knowledge and you can deal with it, you can manipulate it, which is different than just being able to repeat what you heard. Knowledge is the most solid of foundations. That was a general hadith from Muhammad The eighth teaching was holding on to truth is the product of aql. So therefore, we see this is the always the link with ethics, right? So knowledge on its own or aql on its own, does it stop there? No. And Muhammad Ali says, if there's aql, there's a direct association with truth. You can't let go of truth if you have aql. So think about when he says al-haq, right? When the Holy Prophet says, Ali ma al-haq, al-haq ma Ali, bring it back. So what is Imam Ali salam? Anyways, that ninth teaching, the best way, or depending on how you interpret it, the only way to deal with times, with one's circumstances and times, is aql. The tenth teaching, we must deal with the times. We have no choice. We can't neglect or ignore the times. The eleventh teaching, the perfection of aql is a prerequisite for divine missions. This is what the Holy Prophet was saying about all prophets. They perfect their aql so that they may receive a divine mission. So it's a prerequisite. Twelfth teaching, God's arguments over human beings are external and internal. The external ones are people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends as guides to human beings. This is an argument that Allah will have over human beings. And the second one that Allah will use as an argument against us if we don't listen to it and we don't follow it is our own aql. And then finally, this is just putting together a number of these, is that first of all we said the best worship is knowledge in the previous lecture. In this lecture we said the best of worship is and so if you put them together, knowledge, the best of knowledge, is aql. And we had a narration about that. Okay, the deep reflection. And we also had, in some of the narrations, also we, although we said that's a topic coming up, knowledge of what and aql about what and what does it mean and the details, we'll talk about that. But we also already saw some of this here about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his affairs, the manners in which he creates and manages the world, right? Sanatullah, Imam Ali said, and Imam al-Hadi and others. So about his God creation and how he manages the affairs of the world. And of course, this is supposed to lead to 
more sincere, sincerity and better action in the manner in which we live in this world. So inshallah, of course, we have a lot more to say about aql. Inshallah, we'll continue in the next time. And then the next big topic is why does Islam give this type of importance to knowledge and to aql? Okay, so let's stop here and then we can have a little bit of a discussion about some of the questions. وَصَلَّى عَلَى سَيِّدِنَا مُحَمَّدٍ وَعَلَى آلِهِ الطَّيِّبِينَ الطَّاهِرِينَ So for the questions, um, you know, the, the idea was that we put some items for discussion and then we, we, we see what we're thinking about all of this. And as we said, inshallah, this is food for, th for thought to, to take it further than the points that we're covering. One of the questions that we had was the ethical dimension. We talked about knowledge and today we talked about aql. And I mentioned the importance of an ethical dimension. So do we understand what this means first? And then secondly, why is it that we keep saying there has to be an ethical dimension? And Islam, in fact, is mentioning it here and there. We haven't talked about it directly. But this is one topic that is something to keep in mind in general. This is a really big issue in the philosophy of religion and the discussions around religion nowadays whether religions in general and we're concerned with our religion specifically do they still have something to contribute to humanity in this day and age or not so this is a very good starting point this whole ethical dimension do we see the relationship between knowledge slash aql and the ethics And what does it mean to you? Do you mean like in terms of like religious uh, knowledge? Or any kind of so it would go beyond. It doesn't have to be religious knowledge. So is the question basically, is there, should there be ethics surrounded, surrounding any type of knowledge? That's the question. Okay, well, I mean, because with any type of knowledge you could it can be used in a bad or good way, right? So having ethics around it or like having humans know when to use the knowledge and what's good to use and to use it in a good way that can that would obviously need ethics for that, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Did you say like last uh, lecture knowledge produces uh, power or can be used as Exactly. As soon as we have a relationship of power, as soon as there is a relationship between two entities where one can dominate over another, where something can be used in a power relationship, or they call it a power differential, something has more power than another, your first reaction should be, what is the ethical value system that is governing this relationship? Today, would you say, with the knowledge that we have in the world and the use of reason, the use of rationality, the use of logic, the use of knowledge leading to technology, is there a clear value system, an ethical value system governing the knowledge in the world? Or do you feel that there is no such thing? Yeah. I feel like it's lacking. Like, like, 
there is there is like uh, organizations and such that try to impose maybe like ethical um, laws or such on these things but there's no like I feel like people try to work around it for their own benefit and so also I feel like uh, people are trying to make uh, people, are, people are trying to apply ethics they're trying to come up with their own ideas but they're not really based on anything it's just whatever is convention whatever uh, people agree on that this is the the line that we're gonna draw we don't go past it but it's not based on anything it's just made up so this has to become when we've been talking about because the idea is we're gonna go towards which knowledge and which aql so already with what we've said we know that there's a dimension in our religion when we talk about Islamic knowledge for a knowledge to be Islamic there has to be an ethical component so, because we said, we haven't defined what knowledge has to be. We haven't said, we said, of course, there is a number of things, but we're going to come to them. But the idea, the most important point in the type of knowledge that we have is not necessarily the type of information you're getting. It's what's around that knowledge. And one of the things that we need to call something Islamic knowledge is to ask, is there an ethical system around it? Why are you acquiring this knowledge? What are you going to do with it? What makes it good or bad? What makes it ought to be, so you should do, or ought not to be, you should not do, which means it's ethical. That's what makes something ethical. That's an ethical system. Do and don't do. Or you should do or you shouldn't do. Ought and ought not to. Okay? What makes it that? Yeah. What's the intention behind it? What's the intention behind it? So this is a major difference today because we've been talking about what does it mean to be, let's say, in a knowledge society, in a society where there's a boom of information and a boom of knowledge and therefore a boom of technology around it. Okay, is it good or not? Well, religion seems to be our religion, and inshallah you agree with this, it really seems to be praising knowledge, praising aql, praising your intelligence to that, so that in all of these ways it should all be good. But then there's a huge component that seems to be missing in today's world that our religion keeps focusing on in implied ways and in direct ways, which is there's an ethical system from which all of this has to stem or that is the foundation for all of this. If it's not there, we're going to have issues. That which is good is now suddenly bad. So knowledge in itself does not become a good or bad thing. You need to know, as you said, what's the intention behind it. That's what gives it the direction. That was, that's what's going to give it its value, its worth. Yeah.
where are where are we going to <laughs> towards where actually? If we open the, this formula uh, uh, box, uh, maybe if we don't put some ethical boundaries, we can go very far away. Yeah. So that's that's an excellent uh, example. So the whole genetic field and the cloning and 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 so absolutely in all of these uh, you know advanced societies where this is happening right now there is a discussion around the ethics in fact all of you I think many of you study science you have to take ethics classes right the ethics of, or bioethics or the ethics of engineering and the ethics of uh, you know biology the ethics of genetic testing the ethics the ethics you have to take these courses and then they give you, they expose you to a certain number of principles, and they say, keep this in mind. But it comes back to the, to the notion that you were mentioning, which is, there is no consensus today on what is the value system that everybody can agree on, if there is one. And so in a lot of cases where there are warning signs, either it comes from very conservative or far-right or right uh, politically, uh, uh, entities, organizations, institutions that have, you know, warnings because of ideological reasons, theological reasons, and so on and so forth. And there's a lot of that. Otherwise, they're more concerned with this entire technology producing outcomes that are not controllable, that are not expected. And then they have to react to them, and it's after the fact. They're, they can't look in a crystal ball and come up with all of the different permutations. And this is the fear. Right? Like there is no fear around the, the market component of it. That otherwise, that's completely open and they want to push that and there's billions to be made there. It's more, you know, that component. And the intention discussion that you raised is not there. No one is talking about the intention behind it. In fact, in the scientific world, the only intention is pushing the, the frontiers, as they say, the boundaries, the edge of what human knowledge is and what it can do today. And wherever that is, the point of all of science seems to be that we have to push that. That's it. It's a, a blind drive that we continue pushing it. And there is no why. You don't ask why. Just because it is science and we have to keep pushing. That's what human, being, human beings do, right? So that, that's an excellent point. Thank you for that. Go. As we get more advanced, we don't really have, I feel like, someone to tell us this is actually not right. For example, cloning. I don't know if the MF, for example, said anything about cloning at their time. So, like, where would we get that kind of uh, like answer for these things in terms of ethics? So, so the general quick question is: This is supposed to be the job of the fuqaha. So, those people who are experts in Islamic law they are supposed to be able to answer this and they don't answer it because you know they have a specific ayah or ruaya that applies 100% to this. They have general principles and the general principles will tell them these are hawadith al-waqa'ah, these are new things that were not, you know, a microphone did not exist five centuries ago. Am I allowed to use it or not? I have to have a general principle that says, am I allowed to use it or not? When first microphones came out, a lot of the fuqaha, pretty much the majority of the fuqaha in Islam said, you're not allowed to use a microphone because the microphone is a tool used to spread music and to spread corruption. And so you do not use this tool. You have other ways of projecting the voice and those are the tools you use. You, there's no necessity to use this tool. But then the tool was used in different ways. 
And so you see, okay, so this is not mainly a tool for, you know, spreading corruption in society. Oh, so it changes, then the hukum can change. Okay, that's a very, you know, banal example. But the same thing can apply. If they see that there is regulation around it, and so this is where it becomes extremely important, and inshallah you guys keep this very clearly in mind. Where does the faqih get his knowledge? He has the religious knowledge, but he's applying it to real-world events, to real-world situations and, and, and circumstances. Where does that come from? It comes from people like you and I, who have to advise the faqih. I, don't, I can't tell the faqih, I advise you that this is haram or this is halal. I advise you based on my expertise in engineering or, or genetic engineering or biotechnology. I can tell you here are the pros and cons and here are the costs. Here are the financial costs, here are the social costs, here are the ramifications, here are the different scenarios that come out of this. If we go this way, this is what happens. If you overregulate, this happens. If you don't regulate at all, that happens. Here you go, go deal with it. And so the faqih knows the principles of religion and applies these to now his understanding of what's happening. But where does he get that expertise? He gets it from you and I. If there is no expertise from us, where is he going to get it? He's going to get it from others. Perhaps others who don't have our background, who don't have our care, who don't have our concern, who don't have our understanding. So the information when it is presented to him is presented in a different way and maybe in a biased way, maybe in a, a way that leans more towards you know, opening up the market because there's a, you know, financial gains to be made, which is completely different than someone who's doing it with the ethical background and with the ethical understanding of this is what the faqih does and this is how I can contribute from my area of expertise Here's a report that explains what goes on in this type of procedure. Chemically, biologically, genetically, this is what's happening. Is this allowed or not? I don't know. But you, the faqih, will know. If I explain it to you, you can bring it back to the general principles. And then you can apply them. Right? This is how it's supposed to work. Yes, so this is the example of the nuclear weapons. And now we have a number of fuqaha who have very clear fatwa against developing them, studying them, using them, so on and so forth. Because reports have been made to them, explaining to them what it is, how it works, the type of destruction that it causes. And they say there is no scenario we could think of where this would be allowed, where this type of destruction of nature, of humanity, so on and so forth, would be allowed. And so, fatwa, it is simply forbidden to work in this field, to push this, to develop this, so on and so forth. Yeah, exactly like that. And tomorrow it may change, right? This is their understanding of the situation today. Another example or another question that I thought would be worth considering is that 
And this is constantly something that we hear based on what we've presented until now about knowledge and about aql, about ilm and aql, or ma'rifah and aql. And the introduction that we gave to the series and to the theme of knowledge societies. Do you feel that it's still fair to say, or are we exaggerating, are we biased in saying, Islam has something significant to contribute to this type of discussion? And for you specifically, until now, the two topics that we've covered, and inshallah there's a lot more to come, we're just starting. With this, what would be the main takeaway for you in today's world? You as someone who lives in today's world, if you had to say this is something that, either something that really you know, shocked you or hit you, hit home with you about either knowledge or aql, but for you as someone who lives in the world today, what does it mean that you have these Islamic teachings or you have access to these Islamic teachings? Is there still something relevant, useful, worthwhile that Islam is saying about these topics? Given that we are in a knowledge society, in an information and fourth industrial revolution, an information uh, revolution and so on and so forth. Yeah. Are you going to say something? No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, more of a question first, but um, yeah, I just have a hard time understanding how, how does one know where where they stand in, in the world or in terms of their thought um, if knowledge is already used against you to be that if they skew how you think skew your thoughts and so on so it's like uh, um, it's, uh, it's almost like uh, What's right and wrong isn't the same for everybody anymore. So it's like there's a, there's a, um, if, if knowledge was weaponized, you could, you could be a victim of that weapon to be able to, to critically, uh, like, critically think stupidly. <laughs> you know, like, and yes. But to me, at least, and I'm not totally convinced to it because it's kind of like, uh, I've always, like, I kind of take it for granted, but that Islam is like the answer or the help to where to start for standing uh, on, on some big, uh, level grounds. So very quick, it's a good objection, um, but very quick answer to it for now, and inshallah it will become a lot clearer as we go along. Um, and this is something that we'll, we're going to come to directly, this idea that truth is very relative today and it's impossible to know. And we're going to say, no, that's not what we believe. We're not saying that it's always going to be easy to find the truth, but we believe there is a truth. So here you have two options. One option is you hit a wall and you give up. And you say, it's hard and I don't know if I'm going to reach it or not, so I just stop. Our claim, our thesis is, this is not an option. So the only alternative left is that we have to give it our best shot. We equip ourselves with the value system that comes from religion, but that's not enough. And we heard that's not enough now two lectures very clearly, I think. We have to become the experts. That was going to be my next question, <laughs> to see if you reach the same conclusion that I do. Our only option is that where possible, you have to become the expert. 
You have to stop relying on the expertise of others. If you're interested in a field, go and become an expert in it, especially if you feel like this is a field where the information is not clear, where there's a lot of gray, where it's impossible or difficult to reach the truth. It means we're lacking expertise. It means we're lacking effort. We're lacking logic. We're lacking knowledge. We're lacking aql. There's work that needs to be done there. There's hard work that is required. If you want to be willing and ready and you want to put in the work and the time and the struggle and you're willing to do it, this is one, one area where we need work. The other alternative is just to say, you know, I give up, basically. And I think with everything that we've said and what we're going to say, because the whole topic about responsibility around all of these topics we haven't addressed yet, but we'll see that there is a responsibility. You cannot know this and not do anything about it. So the question is, what do you do about it? And to each his own. You have to decide what that means for you personally. There's nothing that's going to be a blanket cover you know, uh, application for everyone. We need people in every field. We need people in every area. But this is where some people will step up. They have initiative. They have leadership. They say, this is an area where we absolutely need leadership. We absolutely need expertise that's missing. And this is part of a, you know, family thinking. This is part of community thinking. This is part of society thinking. Here they call it social engineering. In a society, they decide today, in this society, they will decide how many doctors will they allow to graduate. Not because there is no need, because there's all sorts of factors one of them is that the unions, the associations of doctors themselves don't allow for more doctors to be in a society because it reduces their prestige in that society. This applies to all the fields. If you're interested in changing that, you have to be in that field. Otherwise, you're, you're going to be working on the margins. No one cares what you have to say. Right? So this is all part of understanding how these systems work, understanding the times, understanding the world that you're in. It's enough on the one side to understand the values. That we're, that's what we're trying to do here. Understanding the basic value system. But beyond that, that's up to you. Are you willing to put that on the line and go and do the hard work? We can't do that here together collectively. This is where you decide on your own. This is where my life is going and this is what I'm going to do. And if we could take it to the next level, you think as a community or you think as a society that these are the areas, I need more doctors, I need more engineers, I need more policy people, I need more lawyers, I need more historians. Because all of these are supposed to work together to create that fair society that, inshallah, we're going to be talking about. So, excellent, complex question, no easy answer to it. But I don't think the alternative or the acceptable, an acceptable answer can be, I do nothing because it's hard. And it's not impossible. We know that others are doing work. And there are things that are moving in certain directions. So where are we in this equation? Yeah.
I'm not talking about uh, the political aspect only, but it is actually political, but all, because all what's related to the society is political. That's the definition of the politics. Uh, but definitely, uh, there is a war against the formation, a war against what kind of information people get access to. So it means that there is a war against the knowledge and the truth. Absolutely, absolutely. It's not to have the power to oppress. It's just to be strong enough to not be oppressed. Exactly. Or stand up if there are those who are oppressed, right? Exactly. Yeah. And help each other. Yeah, Ex excellent. Anyone else? I went, uh, I spoke too much, but I wanted to hear from you for the this last point. Yeah. There. Tadlu, tadlu. I uh, remember Sheikh Abu Karar, uh, he said once uh, we live in a society where there's evolution without ethics. So I think if, if you want to look at it uh, rationally, it makes sense because, um, for example, the people in power in the Western world, uh, if you look at the history, um, it's, it's only reasonable that they... Uh, not only ignore uh, ethics, but actually uh, fight it or go against it in, in a subconscious, more like uh, not obvious ways, uh, because it goes against their uh, their means of expanding and obtaining more knowledge. Uh, for example, if you want to do things ethically, uh, restrain you from making more profit, uh, expanding territories and such and such. So uh, I think it, it makes sense that uh, I'm in their spot not to uh, emphasize ethics, but I think on uh, our individual part as Muslims and uh, people who care about uh, our uh, knowledge and our, our values, I think it's important to uh, learn and uh, experience these uh, type of governments and these type of laws and see their, their side effects, see uh, the good and the bad in them. Like for example, the knowledge is really good, like they're pretty advanced compared to other countries, but also like the negative side of it, like uh, there, there are many, I don't have to list them. Um, so I think uh, it's in a way it's uh, given us a sample of uh, what is this the just world people are dreaming of, even as non-Muslims, and if not, then it's important for us to uh, increase our knowledge and be stronger so that we're not uh, blended in and lose our core values so it's good to govern our, uh, our ourselves and uh, take control and um, lead for a or like hope for a better future. Uh, and I think in, in the, some of the teachings of uh, Shia scholars, um, 
the world, even non-Muslims, will experience different types of governments. Like, for example, in the past, it's still now the communism and such and such. Uh, to the point where even atheists and non-Muslims, when finally the Imam of our time, uh, Imam Mahdi arrives, um, they will see that his government actually fits best and it's better than the other ones at hmm. uh, hand. So it's, it's not like we can't do anything. I think it's it'd be a lifetime journey just to govern ourselves. So yeah, so there's a few points. The first one, thank you very much for that. The first one is, um, I think we, just because you, you generalized a little bit, I think we wouldn't generalize by saying, you know, like people in the West and the others. In every society, no, every, yeah. we, we have those who are power hungry, right? And, you know, the Holy Quran, for instance, refers to them as always al-mala', the elites. Mm -hmm. Those who are in power, and those around them. This is Al-Mala'. Those are around the Fir'aun and those who are around the, the Namrud of Ibrahim السلام, and others. They always have a lot of interests. They have a lot of... That's one thing. The second thing is... So we have to be careful with that because if you look at, let's say, Western societies, they're not one. And today, one of their biggest problems, like, you know, their big major thinkers and philosophers, the, the society is not uniform. They are not, as they say, a monolith, like everybody is a clone of everybody and they're thinking, no, there are a lot of people who are huge activists fighting all sorts of, you know, we've touched some things <laughs> and many more we haven't touched. And you see activists fighting all of these injustices, all sorts of them, right? And a lot m fighting it a lot more than we are, okay? If you, if you want to be, you know, open and, and uh, blunt about it. So completely agree with you that, uh, you know, there is a need for us to step up in terms of leadership and taking initiative uh, and as you said uh, having more ownership of over our own fate this is extremely important it doesn't necessarily mean always and this is you know food for thought but it's not always a us and them mentality especially for us who are growing here we are as Canadian as they are I am part of it so it's not a matter of us and them there's no us in them. There is certainly a huge part of my culture that is Canadian because I grew up here and I have those values and I have that thinking. So the idea is not necessarily an us and them. Maybe if I was sitting in another country, that's different. But if I'm sitting here and I'm living here and I'm part of this society and I'm a citizen here, it means that I have to blend in and I have to be part of the process. And if I'm not happy with something in the process, I have to be changing that process here exactly. right and that's a completely different discussion which is where I'm trying to go in this series than saying for instance someone who lives in a completely detached society which doesn't exist anymore but a society that is more detached in its value system than this one and that's a big question right this is where you have to rethink you know what does it mean for your identity to be dislodged to be taken out of you know a society that is a majority of let's say muslims for instance and to be living here and what is the plan is that you go back or you stay here or what happens do you have children here that's it that means you have roots now you're raising them here and what if it's two or three or ten generations down the line so are you still considering yourself us and them at that point or are you as much part of this as anyone else is 
which means you have to rethink. It's not a us and them. It is we are all one here. And I have to, when the Holy Prophet was working in, in Mecca, for instance, is it a us and them? Right? There are situations where you are in a minority. Uh, you, are situ you have situations where you're in a majority. And in fact, if you consider the conditions, you consider your ability to work to effect change, you might have a lot more of it here than anywhere else. Right? So this is all things to, to keep in mind. And to kind of, it's a worldview. It's an outlook on life, on what can we do. And the whole point in a lot of this is as a citizen of the world, because the whole point, the whole drive of the series from the beginning that we're trying to push at is that increasingly the world is interconnected. We are used to a certain map of the world with lines that someone drew and he called this a country and that a country. We don't know where things will be in 10 years or 50 years or 200 years. But we know that there will be a world and there will be people living in it. So how do you live today so that you're acting based on that duty? You are a citizen of the world. You have to put your brick in this big edifice of humanity. What are you doing? So this goes beyond, you know, for today, we call it, you know, you're living in the West or not, you're living in the East or not. Tomorrow, all of this might change. The value system might change. The dominant ideology might change. The technologies might change. But there are things underlying all of this that are still the core. And we consider these to be Islamic teachings. This is your ethical, foundational value system that does not change. But you have to learn how to apply it. How do I prioritize? How do I balance? And then what do I do about it? Okay? I don't want to go beyond this, so maybe one last interjection or comment from anyone, and then we, uh, we wrap it up for today. So dhikr is definitely one of the ways of worship and falls under aql. And dhikr is supposed to be being in a state of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We often say, I think the majority of us, when we think about dhikr, we think about you know, uttering specific you know, words, for instance, tasbih, glorification, so on and so forth. That is supposed, this is supposed to be uh, to put you in the state of remembrance. But the dhikr is not the utterance itself, right? The dhikr is your spiritual, psychological state of being in remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you can be in that state, yes, you are in a state of dhikr, and this is opening the door to aql. But aql is all of these. The, the, one of the important uh, you know, uh, notions in the Holy Quran, it talks about this uh, to a certain extent and a lot of the narrations, but as we said, we don't have time to, to go in the details. For instance, tadabbur. That's another one. Dhikr is a good one. Tadabbur is another one. What is tadabbur? The dubur of something is the back of something. So tadabbur, when you think, usually people say, I'm going to do tadabbur about the Holy Quran. What, what are they doing? 
or I'm going to the, uh, the, the narrations we have the importance of doing tadbir and tadabbur. What is it? Is that you think about the ultimate outcome of something. Where is this going? When you look at something, don't look at, again, the superficial level. Take your thinking to what's the end state of this? That's the tadabbur. How far can you go in your thought in this? Right? The same thing in nadar, the same thing in qawl, the same thing in ra'i. In the, these are the different forms of aql that are mentioned in the ruwayat that we don't have time to, to go through all of them. But that's the idea, is that in, you are supposed to be putting yourself in a state where you can think, think deeply, and inshallah we're going to continue with this thought the next time, so that you go beyond what's superficial understanding and you go deeper. And in a lot of cases it means hard work. It does not mean I just think and think a little bit harder. You might have to go and acquire a different type of knowledge than what you have, or different tools, or discuss with people. But you need to go beyond the superficial understanding of things. And this is definitely something that we may be lacking. Inshallah, for the next time, I'll keep the, the next questions of, so what, and as a community, and where do we go, and as a society, and, and, and. Inshallah, we, we continue with that discussion that, uh, inshallah, you find useful. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi tayyibin al-tahirin.